This episode of Dear Asian Americans is brought to you by Toyota. As a proud partner of those who dare to dream, Toyota isn't settling with having them as words on a page. The stories of these Asian American dreamers need to be seen, heard, and supported. We hope these stories will inspire you to chase your own Asian American dream. Americans, we are continuing our series of Asian American Dreamers, a series brought to you by Toyota, where we talk to Asian American friends who have decided to pursue their own path into pursuing their own version of the American dream. Today, we are joined by my dear friend, Berna Annette, who, amongst many things, is an author, a content creator, just an overall badass person, but her job title she gives herself is Hype Woman, Financial Hype Woman, and so we'll learn all about that. Berna, welcome to the Asian Americans, and Welcome to L.A. and the beach. Thank you so much, Jerry. This is the most L.A. thing, like compacted L.A. afternoon I've had in a really long time. To give context, we're sitting on the beach. We're sitting in the Toyota Sierra minivan on the beach right next to L.A. airport, LAX, and maybe a taco away mm. from making it the most L.A. thing. But I'm glad that you could join us. Yes. Tell the audience what you do for those who don't know you yet. And then tell us what you used to do and how did you go from A to where you are today? Sure. So what I do now is I am a, like Jerry said, financial hype woman, which is my made up way of saying I basically yell on the internet and talk about financial education. I'm a Filipina American daughter of immigrants and my background is not in finance and my parents' background is not in finance at all. And so a lot of what I do is sort of translating the blah, 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 blah of, of the financial world to those of us who do not speak finance. What I like to say is the money world is hella male, hella pale, hella stale. And so as like a walking embodiment of the opposite of a lot of that, I hope. I'm hoping to bring in many more folks who sound like me, look like me, live like us into the conversation about money because it's an incredibly powerful tool that has been just out of reach or pulled out of reach for a lot of us for a very long time. And so you mentioned you were the first to go to college and I imagine that comes with a certain level of expectation, but also burden yes. to do the things that your parents couldn't do, but also to do the things that perhaps a degree would allow you to do mm -hmm. that was not accessible to others. Yes. How did you first manage that from an emotional and sort of burden perspective? And what did you actually end up doing out of college? So I went to college wanting to be my, my sweet little like 12, 13 year old dream was to be the editor in chief of a teen magazine. And so I went into college kind of freaked out about that though, because it was just when magazines started to close. It's like, mm. Now we don't even remember what magazines are. Remember magazines? I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of one, a teen magazine. So I went in as a PR. I went to USC, Annenberg. I went in as PR because I wanted to, like, write but also pay rent at the same time. And that was really valuable. Of course, going to a college here in L.A., it was, like, Hollywood Entertainment Connections, like, rabbit networking, blah, 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 blah. That was incredible. And one thing I loved about the degree where I got it is that the network was so like I said, rabid, it was like the people and the connections you make can really catapult you either career-wise or socially in every kind of way. But of course, after I graduated, I went through the whole like 
It was straight Devil Wears Prada stuff when I got right out of college because I went to go be an assistant at a, at a magazine in New York City. And that was literally Devil Wears Prada. And I was like, ooh, hate it. Love helping youth, love writing, hate mm. the politics that went into making a magazine. But I feel like I still use my degree in a lot of ways because then I had to pitch myself outside of an industry where I had spent so much of my life trying to network. And so I was like... <laughs> please, anyone want to take me in for like youth empowerment, like working at nonprofits and things like that. So I was able to sort of pivot my like networky skills to hop outside of the industry Mm. and start anew. And with like going into finance now, I have to always say straight up, like, no, I don't have a financial background. My degree is not in finance at all. My degree really is in communication and PR and trying to make people feel welcome in spaces that they don't. And that's where my degree, I think, still, still shines. Talk to us about imposter syndrome Mm. because you continue to say, not discounty things, but this is not what I studied. This is not what I had growing up from my parents. This is not what I, you know, and you are now writing a book. It's coming out soon. You've hosted a podcast that's been supported by a, you know, a mainstream media company. And so you're a legit force in this space. When did that dissipate or has it yet? Because Mm. does that ever no, imposter syndrome is definitely my roommate, like my solid, just BFF. And it's, I mean, it feels like imposter syndrome is something you're sort of born with as first gen. You're Because almost your entire existence is about breaking barriers, trying to get in and then take up space in rooms where you aren't expected and maybe weren't supposed to be in the first place. And so... Now I've just, it's just my buddy. It's my shadow. It's like, you know, Peter Pan runs around with a shadow and they're just like, my shadow. That's what imposter syndrome is to me. That's just like my, my, my hanging on shadow all the time. And I've learned to make friends with it in a way that I think my therapist would be really proud. Mm. You know, therapists are like, you want to sort of compartmentalize, not compartmentalize, but like you want to separate yourself from your emotions and observe them and not let them take the wheel. Like Mm. you're the driver, Jerry's the driver. But Jerry's emotions are not the driver. Ideally, a therapist would be like, put the emotion somewhere else in the car, honor it, let it be. But like you get to drive. That's what I've learned about my imposter syndrome is like, okay, she's going to be in the car no matter what I do, but she's not going to drive. She's not going to get in the driver's seat. She's not going to pull up the map or give me directions. She's not even going to touch the radio. I have learned to make space for it and listen to it because what it's telling me usually is like, wow, you're doing something new and scary. And it has this fear voice, but... The fear is not necessarily the thing that's going to give me the directions. It does tell me, though, like, oh, when I feel imposter syndrome come up, I'm like, this is good because I'm breaking a barrier. This is good because, like, the discomfort means I'm I'm pushing into a space that fear wouldn't necessarily let me in the first place. When you were describing all those things, I was like, is she talking about imposter syndrome or is she talking about our parents? Because I think there's a parallel between... The way that our parents have oh. expectations for us, yes. particularly from a, I moved to this country so that you could have these things. Yes. And you're doing something that's very off the path of yes. traditional expectation, totally. as am I. Mm-hmm. And particularly in our own cultures, there are specific things in the healthcare space or specific things within science and you know other things that we're almost expected to do mm-hmm. because we have this gift of education. Yes. How did you battle that? And how did you, how do you continue to have conversations with your parents or just broadly family mm-hmm. about, well, that's what you may have thought would be the result of your sacrifice, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do something completely different. First of all, like the therapist has entered the chat. What you just said about like, is it your imposter syndrome or is it your parents? I'm like, 
let me Welcome text to therapy Ellen. In a car. <laughs> let me text my therapist right after this because the imposter syndrome it doesn't come from nowhere, right? right? It comes from the messages that we hear from our parents, from our families, from our culture, and then takes place and like wears a like you mask and you think it's like you talking. It's really like the fears and the like failures and the hopes of the people who raised you. A lot of the times I feel like as a first gen kid, it's almost like you were born to enact the dreams that your parents either had for themselves or like for the next generation. Like you are, you are put on earth to like puppet out their dreams or the dreams that they had for you. And I think what's hard for folks like me and you who are like one, maybe spent a portion of your life being like, all right, cool. I'm going to try to be that good kid. I was definitely that kid growing up. I'm just like, uh-huh. Of course I'm going to be a doctor. Yeah. 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 Cause both my brothers were like, absolutely not. Can't put that on me. So they're like, Berna, last child and the daughter, you're going to, you're going to be our, your last hope. You're going to do it. And I was like, yeah, totally, totally. And then breaking away from that was one thing to be like, no, I want to write. I have feelings. They're like, fine. That took a minute. And then I got into spaces where they could basically kind of brag about where I was. Oh, she works for this magazine in New York. Oh, she works for Instagram. When I broke away from that, it was like a second rebirth into that cycle of like, what are you doing and why? Why are you leaving these amazing jobs? Like, why are you doing this thing that we can't explain to our friends? And it's it's like this constant dance. It's like once I got into this like great place where it's like, ah, oh, like I'm finally achieving the American dream in a way that my parents understood. I was like, and now I'm going to mess it all up and like completely escape and be self-employed, which to them is like, what? Why? Right. Like, go get my own health insurance. What? Why? And I know all of it is coming from a place with my parents of like love and care. They want me to be secure. They want, it's not just them being like, we invested in you. They want me to be safe. They want me to be happy. It's just to be first gen means to constantly navigate your own path to safety and happiness and security and then translating that to your parents and hoping the two of you don't fight too much or explode in the middle. I found that like in conversations with my parents talking about things like this, it's important for me to highlight the things that they can understand like podcast people hear me on like on the internet book like that's something that you're going to be able to like hold if I get like TV spots on like TFC the Filipino channel and they're like oh, that's what you do. We find these moments of like connection so that they can translate for themselves like what the success is. It's not easy. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. And how have you navigated the evolution of the way that you've continued to redefine what that dream means? Because you went from traditional education to a space where, yes, education was necessary to get a foot in the door. Yep. I'm talking about the traditional world of publications. Yep. But like you said, you're an assistant to somebody who plays a very stereotypical role. Yeah. And, and I've had moments where, like, did I really need to go to college to do this? Mm -hmm. And then going into a place like Instagram where it is, for many, the holy grail of where you're supposed to end up. Right. But that was a stepping stone for you to come into this space now where, yes. again, people, your family might be wondering, why would you do that when you could be doing the secure thing? Yes. And people don't quite understand that because they only see what's on the outside. Yes. How have you managed the evolution of the, even the way that you've defined what you do with these opportunities mm. and the gifts that are given to you? Sure. Oh, man. I feel like you maybe have been in cahoots with my therapist because now <laughs> these are things that, in my perspective, I have to unpack them for myself first mm. before I can explain it to my parents. I have to... I have to come to terms in peace with what I'm doing and then maybe sometime in the future be able to translate that for older generations. I had this conversation with a friend earlier this week where it's like, it's wild to think that you are brought up in the image of a certain American dream mm. and then you evolve that for yourself and then to translate that back to your parents, 
you know, they're afraid for those of us who break outside of these secure jobs and who do things like outside of what they expect. But me and this friend were like, isn't this the real American dream? Mm. That I got to choose my path. I got to do something that I love and I'm making money off of it. I found freedom in what I get to do. I have time. Like, I don't work a wild work week. And so I have I have time to answer my mom's calls. And they're like, we're home from the Philippines. Our flight just arrived. Pick us up. Like, lots of space to be there for my family. Isn't this time and space and freedom the real prize? That Like, the American dream version one is what they wanted for us. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Now we have to talk about, like, what's the actual next level of it where I have space mm. and time and freedom that they didn't have, that our grandparents didn't have. That's where we sort of, like, try to bring our parents along with this, like, new definition of the sure. American dream. I think it's funny because I, I go through the same thing, right? Where it's yeah. like my parents, especially having out to grad school and, like, having, a, you know, a corporate job. Yes. Sure, they would have liked to think, you know, that I would have continued in that. Yeah. But when they're like, hey, we're out of town, can you go check on the house? I go. Yes. I cancel my meetings and I go because that's what we're supposed to do for our parents. Yes. And I have the luxury of controlling my own schedule. So if I'm not making that change, then why do this at all? Yes. Right. And and that can be applied to, you know, spending a day out at home with your kids who might be sick or prioritizing a friend or whatever it might be. So I think with that being said, there's a lot of, I think, people who look to you and they see the current version. Mm -hmm. And again, nobody knows the whole history of of Berna Mm. and they see you as this very loud friendly but relatable person who talks about a topic that we weren't taught in school Mm -hmm. we weren't taught at home and we can make an argument about why we weren't taught these things but it's something that you obviously believe and I believe and many do Mm. that really sets us apart in the trajectory of how we end or how we continue to navigate these spaces and that is how to manage finances, how to learn about systems, how to learn about opportunities in a world that continues to evolve, yep. but also in a world where the rules were sort of written against us. Yes. And so you've perhaps chosen one of the most challenging uphill battles in terms of topics to talk about. Mm-hmm. Why did you pick that lane and continue to double down it? Obviously, podcast content overall mm-hmm. a legitimate book deal that's coming from a large publisher mm-hmm. those are all things that give you more credibility as an expert in this space and you've been on tv talking about your book mm-hmm. and all that stuff right um how do you balance that <sighs> am i balancing that <laughs> it's out i mean again <laughs> from the outside you're doing a great job oh thank goodness thank goodness there you go mom i figured out how to make it look good <laughs> there's a step one of the american dream i think it's funny to always hear people's perception of how they see you balancing or creating or or just like putting things out when the truth of the matter is I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I think a lot of us who are entrepreneurs literally like you bushwhacking your way through an industry to figure out even what our space is we kind of know what we're doing but we also don't like we are creating the blueprint as we go that is really nerve-wracking but I think that's what kind of to your question, that's what has gotten me so excited about staying in this, in the space of finance. Like I had no intention at all of becoming financial anything. I was just working at a place and trying to figure out how to get rid of my $12,000 of credit card debt, $50,000 of student debt. And as I learned, like I, I had this sort of like, you know, third person outside thought of just like, this is so hard. I have a college degree. I grew up speaking English. Like I'm really internet proficient. And yet I'm going through these very basic resources and it's hard for me to understand. Imagine everybody else who like doesn't have the privileges that I have and like the time and the interest that I have. 
So the more I started to like translate my finance stuff for other people, the more people were like, it wasn't just a like, oh, cool, thanks for the information. It was people coming at me with all this emotion. Like I have been afraid of my money. You're making me less afraid. I have trauma about my money. You're like illuminating the trauma. And I think also the fact of the matter is like, we were born into the circus of capitalism, right? And we have no choice. But one thing we understand is that money is the language of power inside of capitalism. It's part of why this education feels so inaccessible. Why would the powers that be want you to gain more power for yourself? I think that's part of what keeps me in finance too, is just like, the sad truth is, like every, almost every like sad piece of news or tragedy that you hear about, something can be tied to money. Something can be tied to finances. Something can be tied to somebody wanting power over another person. So I think that's why I'm, I'm so passionate about and I stay inside of finance because I'm like, this is one of the, not the only, but it's one of the strongest tools that we have to fight all this. And the more I can make it feel joyful, accessible, relatable, as opposed to like harsh and scary and like colonized, the better. Sure. And I think, you know, on the topic of money, that's the reason why I think for what you do, it is a for-profit enterprise. Mm. For what I do, this is a for-profit enterprise. Yes. And I think it's important because one of the things that we, you know, you, you talk about money mm-hmm. openly and broadly. And, and that is not just a, a generational thing. It is a community thing. Yes. And then we don't often talk about money. And so, you know, money allows us to do a lot of things. Yes. Um, and one of the things that it allows us to do is to, one, take care of our families, mm-hmm. but also it buys us safety. It buys us opportunity. Yes. And it gives us opportunities to give back to the community and to build each other up. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think what you're doing, not just through the content, but through your own actions, is also empowering another generation, a new generation of young Asian American women, women in general, mm-hmm. you know, Filipino women, to be more specific, mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know, we can talk about money and Berna is not only telling us how to do it, but she is also showing us how to do it mm. because I think it's important for somebody, a young girl, maybe my daughter or maybe her contemporaries to walk into a bookstore one day mm. and to go into the money section of the bookstore and emotional. to see your face because it yeah. is important. Part of the reason why we do this show is I got sick of being told what to think or how to define or describe success in the American sense, because most of the commentary that was being done in that business leadership life advice column were done by people who look nothing like us. Mm -hmm. And so to get very specific on the topic of money, to do it from your perspective and to do it with your own brand, your book is called Money Out Loud and it's got your face on the cover. So it's, you can't mistake it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think even the way that you've decided to pursue this dream is equally important as the fact that you have decided to do so. And so as content creators, as somebody who kind of has to be out there and to not be on versus your off version, how do you manage your own energy? How do you manage your own sort of brand versus Berna being Berna? My gosh, that once again, we've opened a second or third chapter in things I'm actively working through in therapy because... Like, like, you know, as a creator as well, it's like you are part of your brand. People love and support the things you do because they love and support Jerry. And that's how I feel about my mom, my work in the finance space too. They love the content I come up with, but I also know that part of it is like, like you are the gateway drug, right? Jerry is the gateway drug for the things that you're interested in. Like Berna has been the gateway drug for like people's financial journeys. And that's such an honor. 
and terrifying at the same time. Because there's a lot about me that has nothing to do with money, has nothing, doesn't want to be seen publicly. As a double Scorpio, there's a lot about me that doesn't want to be seen publicly, but like I can play it off very well because I'm a, like a, what do you call it? Like a learned extrovert. I can pretend I'm an extrovert. I'm really an introvert. And so I'm doing, I'm actively doing a lot of work around that now, especially because the book is going to come out. We were just talking before the, the cameras were rolling about like, what's next now? Now that I've been introverted for like two years writing the book, I now have to pretend to be extroverted for the next like year because publicity is starting. Marketing is starting. The things that keep me from feeling like an untethered astronaut though are, I mean, it's, it's a little cheesy, but we've talked about it. It's community. It's grounding. One of my favorite things about having a community that was grown from literally just like me and my 200 Instagram followers is that the attachment to the way that we started humbles me always. I'm just like, I would not be here without folks following me on Instagram and engaging with my content. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the people who are like, yeah, I'll buy your like weird bootleg course that you made three years ago. Or like, I'll, I'll be one of the seven people like sitting in your speaking gig. It always humbles me that like, I didn't grow this career. We grew this career. Yeah. I grew this career with so many people, me standing on the shoulders of people and then people lifting me up from there as well. So what is kind of grounding me going into now this like book promo place where I'm going to have to be like banging the drum about my book for the next like six months is knowing like I can get wherever I want with a book, but it's not going to be any fun if I don't acknowledge the fact that this is a we effort. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a book deal if it weren't for my community lifting me up and helping me to be seen by the powers that were like, you may now have a book deal. So I try to keep it as we as possible. And, and I know that when I've burnt out in the past, like in the past few years, I've just like, I don't, I want to quit Instagram. I want to get the hell off the internet. The thing that keeps bringing me back are the normal conversations I'm having with people in my DMs, in the comments, folks who want to stick around after a speaking gig and just tell me about their life. Like community is what brought me here and community is what's going to keep me here. I know that for a fact. No matter what medium I end up doing things in, it's going to be the feeling of we, that we're all coming into this together. That's what's going to like, that's what energizes me and what's going to keep energizing me. In the spirit of we in the community and you being brought up and built up by other people, you are doing, whether you realize it or not, the work of giving everybody else who follows you the confidence and the blueprint to do what you're doing mm -hmm. on their own style, on their own terms. Yes. You've had the privilege, not easy, but the privilege and the luxury now of having built this Asian American dream mm. that is objectively bona fide, legit. Mm. How do you see yourself and us, those of us who've been fortunate enough to do this, to make it easier for the next burnout? Mm. Not just psychologically, but just tangibly to pursue their own version of the Asian American dream. Sure. I think probably the, the first thing that came to my head is to make sure we don't try to make it look like it was easy or that we're perfect. You know, I think it's so much of, I mean, again, chapter seven and things Berna is working through in therapy, perfectionism. The idea that I need to be perfect at it and people need to think I'm doing perfectly at it. Yeah. That is one, impossible, and two, hurts the rest of us because then we have to we have to act like and think that our journey is supposed to be perfect because it looked really good when Jerry did it and it looked really perfect and easy when Bernadette did it. I think we have to continuously, not just like, you know, like once a year be like, I'm imperfect, here I am being imperfect, but like sharing the everyday imperfections, like yeah. the, the days that like, you know, you go a couple months not getting paid by brands and so things are really lean or when you get rejected by things like we need to show the entire journey and the fact that it's not a straight linear line. It's like it's a doo -doo 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 -doo. we have to show people that we 
we go through it. I mean, as a business owner, you know you go through it. We're just talking about how you were in like 17 different cities in the last like two weeks. So like, but I know that you building this has taken even just in the last couple of weeks, like just seeing it through that small lens, so much effort, so much time. Sometimes you get tired. Sometimes you get sick of it. I think we need to keep sharing that so that people don't have this expectation that like one, it's supposed to look good or two, oh, I don't have what it takes to be sure. that perfect because we are normal as hell, right? Like we are normal people trying to do stuff out of our butts with no blueprint. And so it's going to be hard and people are going to need to see that so that they don't hold us up on a pedestal. Cause I think that's the most dangerous thing sure. is we make people think that you need like some sort of special sauce. Like you just, honestly, you just need to be able, like a little bit unhinged to believe that you can do it. Maybe that's the only thing it really requires and, and a lot of community support. I think one thing too, really important about sharing the journey, not accidentally gaslighting yourself Ooh. to think that you just have to be grateful for everything. Right. Because, because, wow. I'm grateful for everything that I get to do. Right. But I'm tired as hell sometimes. Yeah, of course. And, and that's okay. But we've been taught, if grateful, then nothing else. How dare you complain about the opportunity? Wow. Think about everybody else who doesn't get to do what you do. Wow. And I get it. I, I am blessed to do what I do. I built this business with the support of countless friends and supporters. Right. But yet, when you're visiting three cities in one day or when it's the first week of February and I've already taken 13 flights and I've slept in every time zone in America, yeah. like that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say that because as you said, I think it's important to tell people the process and we have the means through content and through our own channels to share the in-betweens, not just this polished up version that we were fed when we were younger. Yes. Because all we saw were perfectly edited and masterly distributed, mm. intentional with intent, mm -hmm. all what we saw on TV, movies, you know, and in magazines. Yeah. As we wrap, we've talked about your book mm -hmm. and we've alluded to the title. What the heck is the book about and when is it coming out? Oh my goodness. The book is called Money Out Loud. It is all about the financial stuff that no one taught us. I basically wrote the book that I wish someone handed to me anytime between the ages of like 16 to 25. It would have been sick if I had something like this. The entire first chapter is about like financial feelings and trauma because I'm an incredibly emotional person and money is incredibly emotional and personal. I really wanted to drive that home first. And then we talk about budgeting, saving, debt, investing. It's basically if you know nothing about any of it, this is where you can start. Mm -hmm. I like to tell people that it's like, okay, imagine your friend invited you to like a house party, right? You don't really know anybody but this friend, but the friend's like, oh my God, come through anyway. Then you get, you get to the address and you walk in and there's all these people and you're like, okay, I can't find my friend. This is really intimidating. I don't know if I want to be here. It's loud. People are looking at me like, why am I still standing in the doorway? And then finally your friend shows up and is like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Okay, like stay, let me show you. This is where the bathroom is. These are where the shots are. Put your coat down. And then they get you feeling comfortable in the party. Eventually you don't actually need your friend. You're fine there. You can do your thing. That's what I hope this book is for folks is the introduction, the place where you can feel seen and safe, maybe for the first time inside of the finance world. And then from there, jump off into the rest of your money life. And it's coming out April 25th which is also the perfect date, according to that one line from Miss Congeniality. Very excited. Yeah. April 25th is when it's coming out. And I'm, I'm super psyched. It's my first book. And I'm going to be yelling about it for like at least a year. Important to say the first, because I think you have to prepare for the second, the third, <sighs> the forever books. <sighs> you can learn all about Berna and all the wonderful things that she does, including where you can find ways to book her for speaking, for fun things, for podcasts at heyberna.com. That's heyberna.com. And at Hey Berna, wherever you find her on the internet. Yes. Berna, thanks so much. You just flew down from the Bay Area to be with us here in a wonderful setting here in Southern California. 
We're sitting in a Toyota Sierra minivan. We're talking about money. We're talking about our dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what a privilege that we get to do this. And what a privilege that I get to call you my friend mm. as we've talked about everything, building our businesses, being content creators, yeah. and what it means to do that in a community that needs this so much. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Toyota, for allowing us to have this conversation and to have us share our stories about pursuing the Asian American dream. Thanks, Berna, for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you to Berna Anut for sharing her story of her Asian American dream. You can learn more about Berna at heyberna.com and at heyberna on every platform. Also, thank you to Toyota for their partnership of the Asian American Dreamer series on this podcast. Head over to YouTube to watch the full video version of this episode and check out at Dear Asian Americans on Instagram for short form video highlights. This has been your host, Jerry Wan and Dear Asian Americans, keep on dreaming.